Hmm. <laughs> I love to worship, <clears throat> and but this word really difficult to get because <laughs> I had so much in my heart. And when I think of worship, there are so many things that instantly come to mind and so many things that um, I have learned, and yet I know I've got a heap more to learn. I feel like this morning I'm taking a page out of a very large book, and it's titled Worship. And I've got the, the joy of taking one leaf out this morning and expounding on it. My heart this morning, um, and it's, I think it's God's heart for us this morning too, from the worship time, is to go deeper, to be more intimate, to seek something new and to seek something fresh. Worship is giving honour to someone in recognition of their merit. It's giving something that is due. And as Christians, it's our response to who God is and the things he's done. I'd like to say right at the very beginning what worship isn't. Worship is not performance. Worship is not having a great voice. Worship isn't just what happens up on this stage or in church on a Sunday. It's not simply singing a song or dancing and getting excited about the things God has done. It's not about our feelings. Worship is a lifestyle that is devoted to God, with everything being done in response to what we've received and who he is, and always with a pure motive. No matter how mundane the tasks we do, they can be done as an act of worship. Caring for a child in the middle of the night can be an act of worship. Going to work day in, day out can be an act of worship. But this morning, I agree with that totally, and Ben talked about that last week, and, and often we hear about that. Today I'd actually like to talk about specifically setting aside time to engage with God in worship, corporately and privately, choosing to enter his presence with the sole purpose of loving him, because he's worthy, for no other reason but because he's worthy. You know, because I've had a revelation, and many of us have, that, that worship is a lifestyle, I can actually rely on that a little bit and become complacent about setting aside time to actually dwell in his presence. I'm talking about going beyond reading of my word and my prayer time but actually soaking in his presence, allowing him to minister to me as I minister to him. I'm going to look a little bit about that, about setting aside time to sing and to reflect and meditate and soak. You know, it's not a list of rules or procedures that we follow, but I don't want my freedom in not having rules to rob me of the joy that's available by being slack in that area. Um, if you've got your Bible with you, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 22, 
When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I'm not sure how they thought that question was going to trap them. <laughs> I'm not sure what response they were, they were asking, but his answer certainly um, kept them quiet. You know, this isn't just a suggestion. This is a commandment, the most important commandment. But not a command like a soldier obeying a senior officer. This commandment is an invitation. It's an invitation into a relationship with the King of Kings, our creator and the lover of our souls, the one who gave his all. He doesn't stand over us with a big stick. But when we understand who he is and what he's done, there's something in us that just cries out in response to him in love. We worship not for what we can receive, but because of who he is. Bill Johnson describes worship as road-making equipment in the kingdom. I like that, making roads in the kingdom. That removes obstacles between us and God, where unseen things are dealt with. Things shift in the spiritual realm when we choose to worship. The this, this circle starts to happen. We worship because he is, and because he is, he blesses us. We worship him because he is, and because he is, he blesses us. It's wonderful. It, it's, it's, it's too much to comprehend, actually. Worship keeps us humble, reminds us of how great God is and how much we need him. When we look up, it causes our posture to fall down in awe. Physically, when we worship, there's been lots of um, experiments and studies done on this. If we worship for seven minutes a day, it's not long, seven minutes, our brain will grow bigger. It's a good thing. <laughs> we will live longer. We will be more empathetic. We will have greater connectedness with people and it releases endorphins. We'll actually feel good. Great reasons. That's what happens when we worship corporately and privately. When we worship corporately, faith rises. Did you feel the faith rise this morning? Did you feel hope rise this morning? The expectation and the knowing that God was in our midst. When we worship corporately, it creates a platform for the Holy Spirit to move and speak. Chains are broken. I remember one day we were, um, it's a few years ago now, um, Stacy and Brenton were sitting over about where Courtney is, and Stacy had been in a car accident and had pretty bad whiplash. And she was sitting there in pain, and we were worshipping. And both she and Brenton heard this click, 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 and everything fell into place. The pain was gone, there was no restricted movement. She was healed as we worshipped. Chains break off when we come together. 
You know, it's hard to look at worship without talking about David. He is described by God as a man after his own heart. And we know he wasn't perfect. He fell short in so many areas, but he loved God. And he knew how to worship and he knew how to enter into God's presence. 1 Samuel 16. I'll look a little bit in First and Second Samuel this morning. Just to look at a couple of different times in David's life to give us hope. Um, in, where are we? 1 Samuel 16. Samuel had travelled to Bethlehem. He was given the job of finding a replacement king for Saul. Um, Samuel wasn't given a name. He went in faith, believing that God would show him. And the first person when he went to Jesse's house, the first person he saw was Jesse's oldest son. He thought, oh, he's tall. He's handsome. This must be him. <laughs> but God had other ideas. In... Um, Where are we? Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I so take that for myself. You know, how God knows my heart. He sees my heart. He reveals my heart to me. David was the least of his brothers. In fact, his father didn't even think to call him in. It's not every day the prophet came to dinner. This was a big thing. The prophet had come to the house of Jesse and they left David out in the field, tending the sheep and goats. No one thought there was any worth in David. But when Samuel said, is there any other, David came in. And, and the Lord said to Samuel, this is the one. Anoint him. And a great anointing came upon David that day. And he grew in that anointing. We don't know much of what happened out in the fields. He fought lions and bears. But we know from later on in his life, when he sought God, when he stood against giants, when he was, when he was lost and broken, he turned to the Lord, he worshipped. And that happened because he had been intimate with God. When that, and, and before the anointing came on him, he was a skilled harpist. He had practiced his, his um, talent. When no one could see him, he was a man after God's heart, and he worshipped. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, the ark had been captured by the Philistines and was being returned to Jerusalem. There were a few dramas along the way, and it took some time for the ark to be returned and it was falling one day, and Uzzah, who was walking beside the ark, it was falling, and he reached out and touched it, and he was struck down by the Lord and died. Now, I, I, I struggle with that a little bit. He didn't want the ark to fall on the ground. But they hadn't sought God. They hadn't sought how to do this. They hadn't sought God's timing. And this man was in the wrong place. He wasn't where God had appointed him to be. And, and the result was that. So David actually got angry. But in his anger, he sought God about what to do. God's not afraid of our feelings and our emotions. He actually gave them to us. We can come to God with our anger. We can come to God with our fears and our doubts. 
when the ark finally got back to Jerusalem, I think we all know what David did. Very publicly, he danced. He danced before the Lord. He was in a place where he was prepared to be a fool, where he was prepared to be vulnerable because he was so rejoicing at the goodness of God. So when everyone could see him, he was a man after God's own heart, and he worshipped. 2 Samuel 12 was one of David's lowest points. He had sinned and he'd been, he'd sinned and he'd been called out by the prophet Nathan. The consequence was that his son became ill and died. You know, David wept and fasted, believing for God to do something, but the boy still died. In verse 20, it tells us he went into the temple and worshipped. Now, I don't believe that he got down to the garments that he wore when the ark came in. I don't believe he was dancing and, and shouting and rejoicing when he went into the temple this time. But he poured out his heart to God in worship and acknowledged uh, the goodness of God. And out of that point, out of that time in his life came Psalm 51. Beautiful psalm. I'd like to read it to you in the Passion. This was his prayer. God, give me grace from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is, is enough to wash away my guilt. Take away this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my wrong and erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I'm so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you, for you saw it all. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth. It's not very encouraging at the moment, is it? <laughs> Since corruption has polluted my soul. But in the midst of that, this is what comes next. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. The places within me you have crushed will rejoice in your healing touch. I find this so encouraging. We've all blown it at times. We've all messed up. But the place of healing, the place of restoration is in the presence of the Lord. It's in drawing close to him and leaning on his faithfulness and leaning on his goodness. Give me more of your Holy Spirit wind so that I may stand strong and true to you. In verse 15, it says, Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. That's where our overcoming power is, in praise and worship. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure is found 
and the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow at your feet. You know, when life was at its lowest, David chose to worship. I chose David this morning because he worshipped in every season of his life, privately and corporately. And I've, been, I've found myself praying this prayer a lot lately um, in the other versions. It's created me a clean heart. And reveal yourself, reveal to me what's in my own heart. I have been praying that. And, and some of the things that God has shown me I've had to deal with. But some of the things that he's shown me have caused me to sense his pleasure and his delight and his... His, his joy in me. The commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength doesn't say when life is going well or when we're doing everything right. I have to make a choice. Sometimes when my soul telling me, no, it's too cold to get out of bed early this morning, that's a real one for me, Telling me that I'm not worthy. When the devil's whispering in your ear, well, God's not going to listen to your praise when you've done that or when you spoke that way to that person. But when we make that choice, we're actually magnifying the Lord. When we come in our pain, we magnify him. Now, we can't make God bigger. We sing this, magnify your name, but we can't make God bigger. He's as big as anything can get. (laughs) He's above all things. He's all powerful. He's all loving. He's all knowing. But what we do magnify is we magnify him in us. We make him bigger in us. When we declare who he is and, 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 and what he can do, when we declare and magnify him in his goodness, it makes him bigger in our lives. We're pretty good at, when we're in pain, saying, God, I need a fix. God, I need your help. I'd like to suggest this morning that we bring our pain as an offering, that we bring it as a sacrifice. We bring our pain as an act of worship, Because when we do that, we're allowing God to move. That's where God gets glory. When we have a testimony that God has lifted us, when God has moved in our situation, he is glorified and he is magnified. That's where transformation happens. It's where we exchange our sorrows for joy, our pain for healing, our doubts for peace. Our situation may not change, but because we've given it over to him and we've done that circle thing, we give because he is. Because he is, he gives to us. We can now face those things with strength and hope because we've been with him. I was reminded while preparing for today of two really significant times of worship in my life. Um, I was a bit overwhelmed with them actually, so... Hopefully I can. <laughs> I was just reminded how good God is. 
The first one, you know, both, both of these places were places of real vulnerability. But I look back and they were the safest places of my life. <laughs> I might have been scared, I might have been unsure, I might have been a bit wobbly. But I look back and they are times where God built something really deep in my life. The first was very public. We were um, new here to Australia. I was newly filled with the Spirit and we were having a ladies' meeting. And such a, I actually remember the sense of the presence of God in the meeting. And someone took me by the hand, I think it might have been Gwen, <laughs> took me by the hand and brought me up on the stage and stood me where the drums are now. And um, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was new to all of this stuff. But I just opened my mouth and I worshipped. <laughs> and something broke in me. Inhibitions uncertainty, fear. I was, I was released into something in the spirit that I had not experienced before. I have experienced since, but it has grown. And that was a breaking away of things of the past and wrong understanding. And this geyser was released and I worshipped. And I didn't just stand there and sing a song. <laughs> There was no one else in the room as far as I knew. I let it rip. <laughs> and there were arms and there were legs. And there, I was just, I was, I don't know how long I went on for. <laughs> but it was a moment that changed my walk with the Lord. It was powerful and very public. <laughs> um, the second one that came to remembrance was very private. And um, Shane had been unwell and I know I've shared this before, but not this aspect of it. Um, he was home from hospital and there was a lot of fear. And there was a lot of uncertainty about what was going. And again, God's not afraid of our fear. He wants to help us through our fear. He wants to replace our fear with courage and strength and hope. But he can only do that if we give it to him. I had two girls at uni and I had two boys at high school both bigger than me. <laughs> and one of them in particular wasn't coping very well with dad being sick and didn't quite like the way I was handling it and told me so. Well, that was the end of me. I actually went into my bedroom, I sat in my bed and I bawled. And I said, God, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I sat there and I thought, but, and, and I came to the place, but God, you've got me. You've got me. And I started to say the name of Jesus. And I started to pray and to sing in tongues. Um, I was in there for a long time, but I met with God in an incredibly powerful way. And there was a journey to go through with, that, with Shane, with his health. But I approached each new obstacle with a different level of faith and a confidence that God had me. And with a peace and a knowing that God was in this. And God has been glorified in that. You know, Shane, he takes medication. He is well. We're still waiting and believing for a complete healing. But we're whole and we're free in that. And that's the testimony of the power of God at work. And it started in a place of worship. It started in a place of surrender and say, God, I haven't got this, 
but I know you've got me. You know, there's times I feel when I come to worship that I've got nothing to offer. There's times I'm, I'm pretty good at reading my word, pretty diligent at reading my word, pretty diligent at praying. But sometimes I sit down, just a, a few months ago, I thought, oh, it's a long time since I've had just a release of singing and sitting in his presence. And rather than getting condemned, I actually sit in my seat or wherever I am, I can be in the shower, I actually go... Here I am, God. I'm sorry, but here I am, and I just start to worship. And he comes, and he comes and he meets me. I'll open psalms, and I'll actually just start singing a psalm. I'm sure it's not tuneful, but it's only me and God. We used to have this saying that once it hits the roof, it changes, and it's heavenly. <laughs> you know, so we don't have to. You know, it doesn't say you have to have a good voice to sing. As Christians, there's something in us that wants to sing regardless of how we sound. We want to sing because of who he is. Make a choice. Let his love wash over you. Just like when we love someone in the natural, often there aren't feelings there. We make a choice to love someone and the feelings come. So too in the spirit, we make a choice to love God, to focus on him, focus on the name of Jesus, and the feelings come. I'd like to read one last scripture, and I wonder if the worship team would be able to come, please. She can't do a word on worship without doing some more worship. <laughs> Psalm 100 in the Passion and the New Living and in the King James, it talks about, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. When we worship, we're not just entering through gates, but it's a bit like Bill was talking about. This is building equipment. We're building gates for ourselves to enter in. We're building gates for others for them to make a way to enter in. Psalm 100 says, Lift up a great shout of joy to the Lord. I'm glad we did some shouting this morning. <laughs> Go ahead and do it, everyone, everywhere. Everywhere, not just when we're in church. Not just when we're at home by ourselves. Everywhere. I find myself walking around school. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm at school. I mean, I'm not shouting, but I'm singing away. And, and I actually think, well, no, here I am. This is me. This is who I am. As you serve him, be glad and worship him. Sing your way into his presence with joy. There is an actual physical thing we need to do to enter in. Occasionally, God has caught me by surprise. And he's just there when I wasn't looking for him and I wasn't seeking him. But usually there has to be a turning of my heart, a turning of my mind, a stepping forward, a lifting my voice for him to come. Sing your way into his presence with joy and realise what this really means. We have the privilege of worshipping the Lord our God, for he is our creator and now we belong to him. We are the people of his pasture. You can pass through his open gates 
with a password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Come bring your thank offering to him and affectionately bless his beautiful name. For the Lord is always good and ready to receive you. He is waiting. He's saying, come. We just have to come. He's so loving that it will amaze you, so kind that it will astound you. And he is famous for his faithfulness to all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted, for he keeps his promises to every generation. This morning, we're going to see where this goes. I'd love us to take the opportunity again to make a choice, no matter what's happening in your life at the moment, to lift up our hearts, to bring a song, to bring a hymn, to bring a spiritual song, to bring something that's of worth. You know, that song, I'm sorry, Lord, for the the things I've made it about worship. I used to sing that and I think, but I haven't made it anything it shouldn't be. And I'd sing the song and I'm coming back to the heart. And, and, but I realised I haven't made it a wrong thing. But I haven't necessarily let it all that it can be in my life. I haven't let worship be the powerful gift in my life that it is always. And there is always more. But it requires a yielding. It requires an opening up. It requires a bringing of myself, a bringing of my heart. You know, if you're here this morning and you're in pain, physically or spiritually or emotionally, if you're hurting in any way, this is your opportunity to come and lay it on the altar. This is your opportunity to bring it to him because he is. And because he is, he will pour out his mercy and grace. He will pour out his healing touch. No matter how long you've been in the Lord, I'm hungry for something fresh. Something fresh, a new revelation of what it is to worship. I long for that new song to rise in my heart. I long for a new tongue. I long for a new expression to be able to tell God how good he is. This is such a simple word. And it is simple. Yet it's incredibly profound and incredibly powerful. Worship is where chains are broken and people are set free. So this morning we're going to worship again. And I'd encourage you to do something. Come forward. Kneel down. Pour out your heart. Bring it to the feet of Jesus as an offering, as an act of worship. 
that he'd be glorified in it.